Today's scripture reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Disrupted, that is the current sermon series we are in. Because disruptions happen in life, certainly we find ourselves right now in the middle of a major disruption in our world. But COVID-19 is not the only disruption. We face disruptions and interruptions all the time because we have plans and we have schedules, we have expectations, and sometimes those things go a different direction, don't they? And so the question becomes, how do we respond when our lives are disrupted? How do we respond in faith when the unexpected happens? It's an important question that shapes who we are as followers, disciples of Christ. Before we get to the message, though, we do want to take a moment again to say Happy Father's Day. So happy for all of you dads out there. And it is, uh, I think, important for us to point out, as, as David said just a few moments ago, and as we say on Mother's Day, that for some, this day may be difficult for whatever reason. Maybe you really didn't know your father. Maybe your father wasn't that great. Uh, maybe you lost your father. Or maybe you want to be a father, but for whatever reason, that hasn't happened. And so maybe this day conjures up sort of uh, anxiety or negative feelings. And we just want to say that our heart goes out to you. We recognize that. We acknowledge your pain today. But we also want to remind you that you have a heavenly father. And I know you've heard this before, but I hope that you really believe you have a heavenly father who loves you dearly a heavenly father who is ever present in your life a father who believes in you and is devoted to you don't ever forget that that whatever your situation here on earth you have a heavenly father who loves you now normally we have our fathers stand and we acknowledge them things are anything but normal right now, but I don't think that's a reason not to do what we typically do to recognize fathers. And so if you have had a child by birth or adoption or you're the guardian of a child, if you consider yourself a dad, a father, go ahead and stand up right now if you're in the room. At home, you can stand up too, and the people around you cheer for you, applaud you, finish your donut, and then they'll be happy for you. Yes, we have several fathers and grandfathers standing among us. Thank you so much. Don't sit down yet. No, 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 no. <laughs> you needed to stretch anyway, right? Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for what you do. We get to see much of what you do, but we don't get to see everything you do. You do a lot behind the scenes. 
You do a lot that no one ever recognizes, no one ever notices. Things that you do to bless your family, to help others. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And to my dad, who I think is watching at home, thank you for being my dad. I love you. Mom, don't let him doze off in the sermon here in just a few minutes. Stay standing and let me offer a word of of prayer and a prayer of blessing over you. Let's bow together. Father God, we recognize you as our heavenly Father. God, you are awesome. You are holy. You are perfect. Father, we get to see what true love is by being your children. Thank you. And Father, on this day when so many recognize and acknowledge dads in our world, we want to acknowledge them as well. We want to thank you for our fathers, for our grandfathers. We want to thank you for those who have shown us your heart, those who have taught us the gospel. Father, those who have modeled in front of us how to live in a way that pleases you. And Father, for those who have not seen that, who don't have that, I pray that you would bless them as well. God, we praise you and give you thanks for the men standing in this room and the men around this nation and around this world who are followers of yours, who are blessing their families on your behalf. Give them strength, give them perseverance, give them patience, give them wisdom, Father. We praise you, our Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated now. (laughs) Thank you. Well, let me ask you, fathers, do you remember that moment? Do you remember that moment when you found out for the first time that you were going to be a dad? If you're like me, probably a flood of emotions came over you. You were excited, you were thrilled, you were thankful, but it also dawned on you, oh man, I'm about to be a dad. And I don't know what that means. I don't know how to do that. Does the baby come with an instruction manual? And most of us don't read those anyway when we buy tools. But we don't know how to be a dad. And and so you have all these feelings of excitement, but also nervousness and anxiety. And I think that's normal. Some of you may have seen the video that resurfaced this past week on social media. And in everything that's going on in our nation right now, it is a breath of fresh air. And in many ways, it is a heartwarming reminder that there is hope for humanity. Down in the Dallas area, a few years ago, there was a a veteran of the U.S. Army named Jared. He and his wife, Nikki, got pulled over by police. Here's a picture. And when the officer walked up to the car, the couple inside recognized him. You see, Jared, as a veteran of the U.S. Army, had had some psychological struggles. And on one particular occasion, when, when he had sort of a, uh, an episode, an episode that, uh, that was a, a panic attack, he actually met these officers, the same officers that are pulling him over. And so the officer walks up to the driver's side door, and they recognize each other, and they say hi. And then the officer says, do you know why I pulled you over? I pulled you over because you're traveling with a child in your car and you don't have a car seat. And you can see on Jared's face in the video this look of confusion. And I think he even looks in the back seat and there's no, there aren't any kids back there. He's very confused. What he doesn't know is that his wife Nikki is in on this and that she has prearranged with these officers to help him realize something. 
She helped, or she got them to help her with a little project to help him see that she is pregnant and that he is going to be a father. And so here's a picture of the moment when it dawns on him what's happening. (laughs) And he realizes that he's going to be a dad. He's so excited, and, and so she asked him, she said, how do you feel? And he just says, I feel so happy. I feel so happy. <laughs> Finding out you're going to be a dad usually makes you happy, but as I said, it also makes you nervous. And having children changes everything. And I know people say that. Do you remember? People say that. They know you're going to have a child. Well, everything's going to change. And in so many ways, it's true. So many things do change. Schedules change. Routines change. Roles change. You know, sleep schedules certainly change. Where you spend your time, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, all those things and so many more change. Whereas maybe before you were willing to go out and be crazy and do things to put your life at risk, now all of a sudden I have children to think about, maybe you shouldn't do that. So many things change. In so many ways, having a child, becoming a parent, is a disruption. It certainly interrupts life. And so in one of the early chapters of the Bible, we read about a man named Abram who would later become Abraham, and he finds out he's going to be a father. And it's not just the father of a child. That story is a part of this narrative, and it is very interesting in and of itself. But he finds out he's going to be a father of a nation. Father of a nation. And this news would be a major disruption in his life. It would change everything, and it would leave him with a choice. Do I remain where I am, doing what I'm doing, or do I step out in faith and trust God? It's the same choice that we have when our lives are disrupted, whatever that disruption is. It's the same choice we have when God calls us. Do I remain where I am, doing what I'm doing, thinking the way I think, or do I step out in faith and trust God? And so for every calling, for every commissioning we see in Scripture, there is usually a crisis, there is a problem, there is an issue. And that's certainly the case here with Abram. We see it in the first 11 chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 through 11. In chapter 1, everything is good. In fact, God creates the universe. And what's that phrase? And God saw that his creation, or that what he created, was good. Creation was good. Chapter 2, the creation account, is all about relationships. Relationships between God and humankind. Relationships between Adam and Eve. And those relationships are good. But by chapter 3, what happens? Sin enters the picture. The humans God has created choose to rebel against him, choose to put themselves at the center of their universe. And with that sin comes death. And with that sin, relationships are strained. And everything that was good is now corrupted. It gets so bad that we read these words in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. 
Everything that he had created that was so good suddenly was not good. Because he gave us freedom of choice. Love always does that. And we made poor choices. So what would God do? What would God do with his creation that suddenly was no longer good? Well, he tries to reboot creation. He does the old control-alt-delete with the flood. And even after that, people still rebel against God. People still try to find their own way. So it's time to enact his plan. It's time to do something big. It's time to bless all nations, including us today. And that blessing for all nations would begin with one nation. It would, be, it would begin with one man, one couple, one calling. We read about it in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God shares his vision for humanity with Abram, and Abram... Abraham's involvement in God's plan, in God's vision for all of humanity. He says to Abram, I'm going to bless you, but my blessings don't stop with you. You are a channel of my blessings because through you, all nations will be blessed. That's God's vision. That's God's plan. There is a crisis and God addresses the crisis. And he says to Abram, you will be a blessing to the world. You will be a father of the nations, but you need to go. And you need to go now. You talk about a disruption. Everything that Abram knew, everything that was familiar, now he's being asked by God to leave it behind. Now think about this for a moment. This is a major disruption. If I'm Abram, first of all, I'm thinking, wait a second, who are you? We have no record that Abram has any history with Yahweh God. In fact, what we do know is really the opposite. And so if I'm Abram, I'm saying, well, who's calling me? Who is this? But secondly, the question would be what? Where are we going? You say to go, I need to know where we're going because I have to evaluate. There's a cost-benefit analysis here because I have some things. I have a life. You're telling me to go. I don't even know where. Where are we going? Some of us can relate to that, can't we? I mean, you ask college students, hey, you want to go on a trip? Sure. I mean, they don't have to pack anything. You know, they have a little backpack for a three-week trip. They, they're just flexible. Yeah, we'll go. But, but when you get older, what happens? That, that won't work. I, I need to know where we're going. When are we leaving? When are we getting back? How are we getting there? What's the weather going to be like? What should I pack? What are we going to do? You know, we have all these questions because it's, it's uncomfortable. We need to, to control some things. And, and God says to Abram, go. Where are we going, God? I'll show you. You're on a need-to-know basis, and right now you just really don't need to know. Now think about, think about Abram's situation. 
Behind him is his home, his country of origin, his people, his father's household, his routine, his religion, his way of life, maybe his social standing. Everything is behind him. And what's in front of him? A giant question mark. That's what's in front of him. A giant question mark. Go to the land I will show you. You see, that's what disruptions do. They put giant question marks where we have spaces and maybe commas and occasionally periods. Now all of a sudden there's a question mark. There's uncertainty and uncertainty leads to anxiety and I can't control everything and I don't know what's going to happen and God is saying step out in faith and I want to know where we're going. That's the nature of disruptions. Can you believe that it's been a little over three months since that Thunder basketball game? They're about to throw the ball up for the tip-off, and all of a sudden, everything stopped. One of the players tested positive for COVID-19. They canceled the game. Next thing you know, the whole state of Oklahoma shut down. Next thing you know, the whole nation is shut down. It's been a little over three months. In many ways, that seems like a long, long time ago, doesn't it? There's so much uncertainty. There's so many questions. Don't you wish we could just fast-forward a little bit, maybe maybe three months, maybe six months, maybe a year, three years, five years, I don't know, and get a glimpse of what life will be like. What will the risk be like then? What medical advances will be made? Will we still be doing worship like this? Will we get to do some of the things that we miss doing? What is life going to be like? We can't do that, can we? We don't know. That's the nature of major disruptions. Like many of the disruptions in our lives, a relationship ends, and what happens? Well, we don't know what comes next. What am I going to do? We get bad news from the doctor, giant question mark. How does this impact me? What, what are we going to do? How are we going to get through this? You lose your job. You move to a new home, a new place. You start a new school, a new phase in life. Questions, uncertainty. It's the nature of disruptions. And so then the question becomes, what do I do? How do I respond? I want us to look and see how Abram responded to the major disruption in his life that came in the form of a commissioning, a calling from God. Back in our text, verse 4. So Abram went. So many times when you see a commission in the Bible, you see objections. Remember Moses? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Moses had excuse after excuse, objection after objection. But right here, at least for now, Abram went. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, who later became Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram was 75 years old. Now, I know that the relative nature of age in the Bible is something to consider because people often lived much longer back then. But it doesn't change the fact that he's 75 years old. Shouldn't he be in an RV somewhere or, you know, kick back in an easy chair? Shouldn't he be playing bingo or having dinner at 4.30 or chasing grandkids around? see that's part of the thing he doesn't have grandkids to chase around which would change 
It all would change if he would simply trust God. And so what does he do? God says it's time to go, and Abram goes. Verse 4, Abram went as the Lord had told him. The New Testament writer of Hebrews includes the Abram narrative as he talks about faith, as he defines faith for us. We sometimes call it the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11. He writes these words, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. You see, sometimes it's just that simple. God says, do this, you do it. God says, don't do this, you don't do it. God says, go and you go. Sometimes it's just that simple. And as I said, we don't see objections, objections by Abram here. Now later, he's going to have some, some issues. But right here, he just packs up his bags and he leaves what's familiar to him to step out in faith to become the father of many nations. Now, one of the things that Abram left behind, I think, was his religion, which evidently was not based in a monotheistic view of Yahweh God. And so in Joshua 24, we're not going to take the time to read this passage, but in Joshua chapter 24, we see that Abram's father worshipped idols. Well, there's a great chance that if Abram's father worshipped idols, what do you think Abram worshipped? He probably worshipped idols as well. And if you look at the history and the context of that area in which he lived, you will see that one of the gods, one of the idols that was worshipped among many was the moon. The moon was very prominent as an idol during this time in this region. And so there's a good chance that Abram actually prayed to the moon. The moon was thought to give life and to control life. That's what Abram is leaving behind. You say, well, it's a good thing he left that behind. But put yourself in Abram's shoes for a minute. If that's how you grew up, if that's what you knew to be true, if that was what was familiar, then it's difficult to leave that behind. You see, I think that maybe Abraham, Abram, was in a spiritual rut, and he didn't even know it. It was just what he understood to be normal. Abram was in a rut and didn't even know it. And God says, if you're going with me, you have to leave that behind. If you're going with me, this is an exclusive relationship. You can't be bowing down and praying to the moon and to these other man-made idols or what you see in the sky. This is an exclusive relationship, so you have to get out of that pattern, get out of that rut. I think in many ways, that's what God is doing here with Abram. And I think that is one of the lessons we can learn. Disruptions often do a lot of negative things. We don't enjoy them. They are inconvenient. They turn our plans upside down, but they can do good work. And I think even during this strange time we find ourselves in, God can work through these kinds of things to do good work. We've said week after week that God can use disruptions to make disciples. And so here's what I want you to realize. Disruptions 
can force you out of a rut. If you're in a rut in the way that you think, in the way that you live, then maybe it's time for a disruption. Maybe God is calling you out of that rut. We are mindful of those for whom COVID-19 has done more than just disrupt their lifestyle. It has disrupted life. There has been loss of life and great pain and dreams and future plans have been lost. Even from among our own here and our hearts break for them. You talk about a disruption. That certainly wasn't planned, wasn't wanted. For many of us, it is more of a lifestyle disruption. Our schedules have changed. Our routines have changed. Many have tried to work from home or, or homeschool or do things that you don't normally do or do them in ways that you don't normally do them. And amid all those changes, I hope that you can maybe find some good things that have come out. And I've heard people say, you know, this has forced me to, to reassess my priorities. Or it's been great to spend more time with family. You see, sometimes disruptions jar us. Sometimes they, they pull us out of a rut that we're in. And we need that. We need to be pulled out of those ruts. I can't help but think about what's going on in our nation right now regarding race and attempts of, of reconciliation. And we've talked about it a lot, and I think that we should. Because, in fact, by talking about it or by not talking about it, I think it illustrates the point very well. You see, all of this conversation has been a much-needed intrusion into our collective consciousness as a nation and as a church, even. And it reminds us and it helps us see that maybe we've been in a rut regarding our efforts for reconciliation and using our voice to speak out against injustice. But see, you just get comfortable, you just get in a rut, and, and you do your thing, and you live your life, and you think a certain way, and you talk a certain way, and, and then all of a sudden something comes along, and, and it, it pulls you out of that rut. And maybe you see things that you needed to see before. For some of us, the rut may be a little bit different. But here's what I know. Faithfulness to God sometimes means breaking allegiance to the things that we know. And we could continue that statement. Not only the things that we know, but the things that we grow to depend upon and the things that we love and the things that we enjoy. You see, sometimes answering the call of God, God says, go. I have a vision, I have a plan, you need to go. Sometimes that means for us breaking allegiance leaving the familiar, stepping out in faith. I mean, think about some of the ruts we get in. Maybe we hold resentment towards someone, and every time we see that person, every time we think of that person, just negative feelings of resentment come up. And it is, it's a rut. And maybe God is calling us out of that. Maybe God is, is stirring us and disrupting a calcified pattern of negativity. And he's calling us out of that rut. Think about addiction. Addiction is a rut. And you can't necessarily get out of it on your own. And you can't necessarily see that you're in a rut. 
but sometimes disruption inspires change. Think about one of the biggest disruptions or one of the biggest ruts that we get into. And, and dads, we're kind of thinking about dads today. I think so often this is the case for, for many of us, at least a temptation, and that is to get caught up in the things of the world, to get so busy and pursuing the things of the world, to find our identity and our comfort and our fulfillment in the things that the world offers. And it's normalized around us. And the more it's normalized around us, the more it becomes normal to us. And it's such an easy rut to get into. Maybe your rut is something different. Maybe it's self-defeating talk. You can't get out of your own way. And it's just constant. It's just on a loop. This voice in your head is on a loop. You can't do it. You're not good enough. No one loves you. No one cares. And maybe God is calling you to get out of that rut. Maybe it's unaddressed grief or anxiety or past struggles. Maybe it's negative behaviors or negative thoughts or negative choices. If you find yourself in a rut and you can't seem to get out of it, you are ripe for disruption. And here's some good news. You see, with God's help, you can be the source of your own disruption. What I mean is make a change. Do something different. Reach out for help. Get out of the ditch and get back on the path to a better life. And maybe that simply means reconnecting with God's word. Reengaging with, with scripture. Dedicating time to Bible reading and prayer and, and maybe journaling and, and discussion. Maybe it means reaching out to someone, talking to a, a, a trusted mentor. Maybe to get advice or maybe just to, to have some, someone help you through something. Maybe it's a counselor. Maybe it's someone else. Maybe it means trying something new. You've heard me stand up here now for two years and talk about Discovery Bible Study. And maybe your mind just clicks off when I say that because you're busy, you don't have time for it. Maybe it's time to get out of that rut and say, what is that? Is that something I could do? Could I invite others, a couple other people, just to open up the Bible and, and have a conversation about that? Or, or right now we're looking for hosts for Backyard Bible School. What a great idea our children's ministry is doing. Maybe getting out of that rut means trying something new and signing up to host this. You say, well, I don't have kids. That's okay. You say, well, I don't have a backyard. That's okay. <laughs> if we've learned anything over the past three months, it's that we have to adapt, that we have to be flexible. And my guess is we can make that work. So maybe it's trying something new. What does it mean for you to recognize the rut that you're in and to obey and take the calling of God to get out of that rut. Maybe the best illustration we could use is the one that Jesus used when he was asked about who his neighbor is. It's recorded in Luke chapter 10. Many of you know the story. There's a man traveling on a mountain road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he's overtaken by bandits, he's beaten, he's left for dead on the side of the road. And who walks by but a priest? Oh, it's a priest. That's good. A man of God. Surely he'll do something. And he sees the man in need on the side of the road, and the, the text says that he walks by on the other side. He just keeps going. Then a Levite comes by, 
a Levite from a special tribe that ministered in the temple. We might call them in our language today ministers. A Levite walks by. Well, surely he he will do something. He sees the man in need, and what does he do? The text says he walks by on the other side. It takes a Samaritan, the most unlikely of people, to actually stop and render help. Samaritans and Jews hated each other. Jesus knows that as he's telling this story. And by telling this story that way, where does he put the spotlight? It's on the priest and the Levite, isn't it? They didn't stop. They didn't do something. Well, they were busy. They had a schedule. They had an itinerary. They had plans. They needed to get to Jericho. And after all, they were being religious. I mean, a priest and a Levite? We're talking about religious people here. And yet they didn't do anything maybe they dismissed it maybe they said you know what that guy probably deserved it that guy probably deserved what he's getting or maybe they said no this looks like a trap if I go over there and do something other people are going to jump out of the bushes and I'm going to be in trouble or maybe they just said we have to go and do more important work somebody else can help this guy we don't know the reasoning But it's no wonder they wouldn't get out of the road to do something because they were in a rut. It's difficult to step off the road when you're in a rut. And certainly, I think we can see that that's where they were. And here's what happens. If you're in a rut long enough, it becomes a routine. You see, it becomes normalized. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is the way I think. This is the way I vote. This is the way I talk. It becomes a routine. And so we go from a rut to a routine, and then it becomes a rhythm of our life. It's just a part of us. It's not just something we do. It's who we are. Someone after first service said, I have another word. He said, in my life, I make a rule. I make a rule for myself, and I put that rule on other people too. So from a rut to a routine to a rhythm, to a rule. See, a certain way of thinking. It skews our perspective. And we think things are a certain way because that's what we've always thought. And we don't even challenge that. We don't even listen to any other uh, point of view because this is normal, this is right. I'm, I'm sure that the priest and the Levite thought they were doing the right thing. And yet, they couldn't get out of the right How else do you explain some of the things in our lives? How else do you explain some of the things that that we have done, some of the things in our own lives as individuals and in our collective histories as a nation and as the church? Things that, that dishonor God. Things that we're not proud of. Things that are sometimes even done in the name of doing what is right. How else do you explain that? you're in a rut it's time to get out and maybe maybe it'll take a disturbance maybe it'll take a disruption but it's time to get out of that rut so what will you do will you stay put or will you step out will you stay put in what is familiar what is known what is comfortable or will you step out in faith and trust the one who is calling you.
That's the invitation today. God is calling you, just like he called Abram. And he's saying, go. I have a vision. I have a plan for you and the world. Go. What are you going to do? Are you going to stay put? Are you going to step out? The decision is yours. But if we can help you in some way, we want to do that. We want to be a source of encouragement. We want to pray for you. Let us do that. Those of you at home, you can go to our website, edmundchurchofchrist.com, fill out the prayer request form. By the way, go there and see other people's requests and click on the hands and let them know you're praying for them. If you're here today, you can come down to the front. We'd be glad to pray over you. Maybe today you're ready to give your life to Christ in baptism. That's happened. That happened just this past week. We'll hear about that in just a minute. We'd love to celebrate with you if that's where you are, and that's what God is calling you to do. What are you going to do? God is calling you. Let's stand together and sing. Guide me, 